0: Every so often, I make the mistake of thinking that I know things. Not often, because most of the time, I understand life is just filled with the unknowable, and I will get blown by the wind in whatever direction, and I will just go with it, And then I'll die, and that's the way that life works. Every so often within that structure, I convince myself that I know something, whether that's in a relationship or whether it's because I've watched six football games of a team. And I say, hmm, there's a lot of unknowable in this life, but for this particular matter, I know something. And I'm always wrong (laughs) without Phil I'll be very upfront with you. No matter what I think I know, I never know because we circle back to the original point. Everything is unknowable. Now, I bring this up because the college football playoff rankings were released yesterday. The very first rankings of the season. And it's something that I would really like to discuss. Not just the rankings themselves, but the structure that exists within college football and how it works in present day. And how it has always worked and always will work. There are two separate states of being when it comes to the college football playoff committee and the structure that exists within the sport is there's thought on one end, there's action on the other end. It's essentially the difference between what we think, this idea that I know things and I think things. And on the other hand, it's what we actually know, things that have occurred, the actions that have taken place upon the field. These are two very different things, thoughts versus actions. It's essentially the difference between power rankings, what we think a biggest line should be when two teams meet on a neutral field, versus results, what has actually occurred upon the field. Now, I bring this up because within the college football playoff debate, whether via the committee themselves or just the general discourse that surrounds college football playoff, bots usually overrule what has taken place on the field because everybody falls into a similar pattern like I myself from time to time fall into. No, no, no. I know this has occurred, but I think that I know more than the actual results tell me. Okay. And so when we get to that point, I always kick back and I go, well, if that's what you think, then what is the actual point of playing? So the playoff rankings get released yesterday. Georgia, number one, right at the top, obviously. Two through four, it's Alabama at number two, it's Michigan State, then it's Oregon. The top 10, it continues. Ohio State at number five, then Cincinnati, then Michigan, then Oklahoma, then Wake Forest, then Notre Dame. Collection of teams... That if you follow the way that the committee votes and what they say after each individual ranking session, they pick and choose what they want to use as logic for why this team is ranked here and why this team is ranked here. Sometimes they'll say, yeah, well, we did this based upon resume, the actions that occurred on the field. Most of the time, and especially when they want to shoehorn in the teams that they really want to shoehorn in, turns into what we think, turns into, well, the eye test, and we just know that. This team is good, even if they haven't actually shown us that maybe at any point in this season. So right at the top is the one team that aligns with both of these thoughts, the thought side and the action side. It's Georgia. They are unquestionably the number one team in the land. They have allowed 53 points through their first eight games. That is the fewest of any team since 1993, Florida State team that also not also, but a team that won the national championship, which Georgia seems like they have a great chance of doing this year. They've played One game that is competitive, season opener against Clemson, beat them 10-3. What we know and what we think about Georgia is the same thing. It's this team we think is good, they have a lot of talent, and we have seen that play out over the course of their schedule. This is the only team that I can say that about so far. And that doesn't necessarily mean it will hold true as the season continues because I still would like to see Georgia play certain teams that have explosive offenses and see if they give up 24 points. If Stetson Bennett and the offense can go toe to toe with that, that's something that I would like to see. But we probably won't get that until they play an Alabama in the SEC title game or they play an Ohio State in the playoff. When it comes to all the other playoff contenders, you kind of have to pick a side. It's going to boil down to do you trust in what you think or do you trust in what you know? I'm always the person in the sport of college football who gravitates towards what I know. Because again, I understand, I think a lot of things and without fail, all of them end up being false because I don't know anything. I don't say that as a diss on myself. And I'm sure that you listening are going, yeah, I don't really know anything either because that's just the way that life works. We walk around, you don't know anything. Cincinnati is ranked number six. That's That's the point that I really want to start at. Because I've been telling everybody who will listen as this season has gone on that the committee will do everything in their power to keep a non-Power 5 team at arm's length. A lot of people thought that Cincinnati would be ranked high because in the human polls, you know, most of them have them ranked right up there at number two. Um, but the committee, they know that if they rank Cincinnati number two or number three or number four right out of the gate, it's going to be hard to justify moving them down as other teams are losing So they keep him at arm's length. They put him at number six. Cincinnati, an undefeated team that is questioned by many. A team that has the best win of anybody outside of Oregon. Cincinnati, they went on the road against Notre Dame, the number 10 team, according to the College Football Playoff Committee. They beat them. They controlled the game the entire time. They end up winning by two possessions. They've had two somewhat close calls against Navy and Tulane. Navy, they're up by two touchdowns and Navy scores under a minute to go to cut it to seven. They recover an onside kick and then throw an interception. Tulane, this last Saturday, takes them into the third quarter to one possession game before Cincinnati pulls away and wins 31-12. Rest of their schedule, bunch of blowouts. Now, I look at that and I say, if a different team had this particular resume. One outstanding win, And a decent amount of blowouts and a couple of close calls, but really not close calls. A different team had this resume. Let's say, just for the purposes of thought, Ohio State had it or Oklahoma had it. I can assure you this would be the unquestioned number two ranked team by the college football playoff committee. That's not the case because Cincinnati resides in the AAC And if there's one thing we know about the College Football Playoff Committee, they do not want outsiders to be a part of the party. So Cincinnati sits at number six. And I will be interested in a very cynical way to watch the way that the College Football Playoff Committee skews logic and does backflips and contorts themselves and ties themselves into knots, trying to explain every single week, if Cincinnati keeps winning, why this team jumped them and why this team didn't drop behind them. I think this team, again, this is my thought, and I might be wrong. I think Cincinnati is a team that is very good. I think it is a team that could beat the vast majority of teams in the nation on any given day. I think they're the best team in the nation, no. But I also think that they will never, ever be properly respected by the playoff committee, no matter what. I think that's reflected in the first rankings. And I feel very comfortable saying that we will see that play out Over the rest of this season, no matter what Cincinnati does on the field, no matter what their peers also do on the field, because you can always find another one loss power five champion or a one loss team that didn't win their conference. But we think they're good because they passed the eye test and they have great recruiting rankings. Just the logic that the committee has used in the past. I know that that will be in play depending on what happens with Cincinnati. So there's another team that... The committee ranked number three, Michigan State, also undefeated, also questioned by many, just like Cincinnati. Now, it's interesting because the logic that the committee does not use for Cincinnati, they use for Michigan State. The logic that I wish everybody would use, which is, mm, I'm looking at what happened on the field, and I'm not sure if this is sustainable, but this is what we have to go on. They've played eight games. Michigan State has won them all. And they have a resume. If you just look at the wins, it stacks up with pretty much anybody. They've beaten Miami, Florida, and they've beaten Michigan on Saturday. And yeah, they've had close calls against Nebraska and Indiana, but they've won all their games. And they just beat a top 10 team on Saturday. Yeah, they were down 30-14, and they had to come storming back. And again, this doesn't seem sustainable at all, but we're going to rank them number three. Because of what has occurred on the field. Because action should trump our thoughts. Interesting uh, that Michigan State is residing at number three based upon that logic. And Cincinnati is residing at number six based upon thought over action. But if you want to connect the dots, it's pretty easy to do so. One resides in the Big Ten and one resides in the AAC. And if you take it a step further which I do as an incredible college football playoff committee cynic, you understand that it only behooves them to rank Big Ten teams high because Michigan State's there at three and Ohio State's there at five and Michigan's there at seven. And the committee knows, well, if we have enough teams ranked there high from that conference. No matter who comes out on top there, we will have enough ammunition and justification to put them into one of the spots. How this kind of stuff works. So what we know is yeah, Michigan state, they have a resume that stacks up with anybody. What we think, I'm sure a lot of people are on the same boat as me. Just when does this luck run out? Probably when they play Ohio state would be my guess, but we don't know. We have to wait until that occurs. And if it doesn't, then you tip your hat to Michigan state and you say, well, as long as you keep winning, I promise you there's going to be a playoff spot reserved with your name on it. Now, The most interesting discussion when it comes to playoff selection has bubbled around the Oregon Ducks and the Ohio State Buckeyes going into this week. And it has been very strange for me to listen to because they both have one loss. And Oregon is questioned by a lot. Ohio State, not as much. Oregon has the most impressive win of the entire season. They went on the road. Into the horseshoe. They beat Ohio State handily. Also while missing their best player, Kayvon Thibodeau. There was nothing fluky about it. They controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides. They ran the ball at will against Ohio State. And they ended up just putting them away in the fourth quarter. It was, again, the most impressive win of of the season for any team. They have an additional great win against Fresno State, which is looking better by the day that occurred at the start of the season. Their loss against Stanford... Doesn't look great when you just look at Stanford as a team and say, that team's probably not that good. At the same time, an incredible series of events had to occur in order for that loss to happen. Seemed fluky, yet at the same time, if you're abiding by the logic that I want, you say, they lost. And so that is something that happened and we need to factor that in. We also need to factor in the fact that the Pac-12, the conference that Oregon resides in, they're hot garbage. They're not good. They are not going to present any opportunities for Oregon to boost their resume this is where we make a pause because the debate going into yesterday was who would you have ranked higher between Oregon and Ohio State and this is the biggest issue that I have with college football group think because a lot of people as part of this uh, uh, debate said well yeah I mean if you just go solely on power rankings and think about it, if Ohio State and Oregon played right now on a neutral field, Ohio State would be ranked or Ohio State would be favored by over a touchdown. They're a significantly better team according to power rankings. Everybody agrees. Every gambler would agree. Every bookmaker would agree. That is 100% fact. If they were to line up tomorrow on a neutral field, Ohio State would be favored by a decent spread. Now, this is where it gets kind of weird. Because I hear that and go, yes, I agree with that. That is true. But we have already seen this game occur. (laughs) Oregon went on the road to Ohio State without Kayvon Thibodeau and one going away. This literally already occurred. And at that point, if it has already happened, we've already seen these two teams play. And they both sit there with one loss. How could... A spot ever be up for discussion. How? So the committee, they align with that thinking so far. And I'll be very interested to see if it boils down to it at the end of the season. And Oregon is a one-loss Pac-12 champ and Ohio State is a one-loss Big Ten champ. Significantly better conference, Big Ten. But the head-to-head on Ohio State's home field went decidedly to Oregon. I will be very, very interested to see Who would be put into the number four spot if it came down to you can only choose one of these teams? Because despite the fact that I don't think Oregon is as good as Ohio State, I would say, I'm sorry. It's already been it's already been settled. Action trumps thought. We can sit here and applaud Ohio State for all their recruiting classes and all this kind of stuff. But they already played Oregon. And when you take it further with Ohio State in present day. And you say, yeah, you have one loss. And yeah, you're not questioned by a lot of people relative to Oregon. Your power rankings, they have you incredibly high. Everybody agrees you're one of the three teams who probably should have a chance at the national title. If you were to play anybody on a neutral field tomorrow, the point spread would be in favor of Ohio State unless it was Alabama or Georgia. And even that, I don't think it would be a big spread. At the same time, what has occurred on the field? What has actually happened? What we think versus what we know. Well, what we know is they scrubbed by Penn State on Saturday. Uh, they've had somewhat close calls against Minnesota and Tulsa. They were defeated in a non-fluky manner by Oregon at home. And then they have a handful of blowout wins over the dregs of their schedule. Ruggers, Maryland, Akron, Indiana. So that's great. Uh, and when I think about Ohio State, I go, yeah, all right, this is my opinion of them right now. This team, they have plenty of talent. And Man, this offense can be really explosive. And I promise you, a lot of these people are going to go to the NFL. At the same time, they haven't played up to that standard. They haven't played up to the standard of we're piling top five recruiting classes on top of one another. And we should be dunking on all these teams. They have not played up to that standard. We're still waiting for that to occur against teams that have a pulse on their schedule. Maybe that starts against Michigan State and Michigan down the stretch. Maybe it doesn't. But in present day, I know that they have played... One team who I consider to be good and they lost to them at home and then they've struggled against a couple other teams that really aren't that good. Minnesota and Tulsa. So with that in mind, how is this a team that we are reserving a spot for in the playoff if they win out? Because we gravitate towards what we think. That's how the playoff committee works. That's how a lot of college football fans work. That's how the discourse and and the college football media talks about College football and playoff spots. Yes, Ohio State, they haven't really played that well through eight games, but we think they are going to be good at some point. So we're just going to keep this spot preserved on ice and trust that we can find a way to put them into it. Again, it's very cynical, but that's just the way that the playoff has worked ever since it's been instituted. Oklahoma being ranked at number eight is noteworthy on some level, and yet... I also understand that it doesn't matter because they are undefeated. They are questioned by many and for good reason. But if they keep winning, there's a spot that will have their name on it. What we know is they have not looked very good at any point this year. They have way more close wins than not, whether it's Tulane or Nebraska or West Virginia or Kansas or Texas. What I think is pretty much the same thing about Michigan State, except Michigan State's resume right now looks a little bit better. I just think, I mean, this team is really not that good. Uh, They're kind of living on borrowed time, it seems. And yet at the same time, in the Big 12, who is going to topple them? I wouldn't choose any team. Yeah, they still have to play Baylor and Oklahoma State and uh, another, maybe one of those two teams in the Big 12 title game. But do I trust any of them to beat Oklahoma? Not really. There's a reason a few weeks ago that I put a bet on... Oklahoma to make the playoff partially because I think they're still the best team in their conference. And it's partially because I know the playoff committee will tie themselves into knots trying to shoehorn Oklahoma in comes down to undefeated Oklahoma and undefeated Cincinnati. There's no doubt who is going to get chosen there. Now, last but not least is the team that is ranked number two, Alabama. Selfishly. I like it because I have a combined future Either Georgia or Alabama will win the national title. So if I can get both those teams into the playoff, that's good for me as a person who placed a bet on that. But it's also a little interesting to just examine because the logic there is again, the playoff committee will pick and choose their logic and apply it in the way that they see fit in order to ensure that the teams that they want. Our teams within power conferences, those teams are the ones that ultimately end up in the top four. That's how the playoff works. Alabama has one loss. They are questioned by few. What we know, well, they were outplayed on the road against Texas A&M and lost. They had a close call at Florida and won by two. They have blowout wins versus a decent chunk of teams. Mississippi State, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Miami. Now, I, I also agree. This is the best of the one loss teams. I also agree that if they went out, they should be in the playoff. What Alabama has, in addition to what we've seen so far, is the great advantage that the committee provides to a select few. It's we will gravitate towards track record in seasons past, and we will gravitate towards pedigree and recruiting rankings. And so even if you're kind of stumbling around and you're not finding your way, we will always say, ah. The eye test is there. We can tell these players are good. I mean, they've just piled up so much talent. And yeah, we haven't seen that happen or maybe occur on the field, but we are just going to maybe wait and see. And yeah, Cincinnati's great. Okay, they're fine. But if push comes to shove and Alabama's sitting there, I'll be very interested to see. This is another thought experiment. If Alabama wins a close game against or if Alabama loses a close game in the SEC title game against Georgia. Hard fought, close game, let's say Phil Gold the buzzer, and they're sitting there as a two loss team. I'll be very interested to see how that team is treated by the playoff committee against some of its peers. Now I shouldn't have to explain why on field results matter. I really shouldn't, but I'm going to, because that is the purpose of this episode. Because I don't know anything, because you don't know anything, because Nobody on planet Earth really knows anything. How often are we wrong about the things within our life? I can speak for myself. I am wrong every single day over and over. I think I know this. Oh, wait, no, I didn't. I think I know that. No, wait, I didn't. I can assure you within my own life, it happens again and again in the world of sports as well. Whether it's in college football and Bowling Green is playing Minnesota this year, and I go, Minnesota's a 31-point favorite in the home. They should wax them. And Bowling Green wins outright. Or... Alabama's going on the road on a Saturday night against Texas A&M and Texas A&M has looked atrocious and can't move the ball and I go Alabama's gonna win in a a runaway and I bet on Alabama with the spread and A&M wins or whether it's Oklahoma who has all summer to decide who their best quarterback is and they settle on Spencer Rattler and I look at it and say Spencer Rattler should be one of the favorites for the Heisman he seems like he's their best quarterback and then he's getting benched in the Texas game for Caleb Williams who immediately looks like he's better and has injected life into that offense just we don't Know anything. Even the people who are there every day don't know anything. It's just hard to know things in life. That's the point. You can look back to the NFL Sunday, just barely occurred. If you want more examples of just how little anybody knows, even people who follow this stuff closely, even people who are a part of it, the Jets are playing the Bengals and they have to start Mike White because Zach Wilson's injured and the Jets are already bad and nobody knows who Mike White is. He's some doofus from Western Kentucky. And he looks like he's just going to get tied into a pretzel by the Bengals' defense. The Bengals, the flavor of the week. They just pounded the Ravens. It's going to be a runaway. They're favored by double digits. What happens? Mike White throws for over 400 yards and the Jets win. Or Sunday night, the Cowboys are playing the Vikings. And the Vikings start the week as three-point underdogs because everyone thinks Dak Prescott's playing. And by game time, they're four-and-a-half-point favorites because he's ruled out. And Cooper Rush, somebody who nobody knows, little-known quarterback from Western Michigan, he's in there playing, starting. Nobody thinks that they're going to win, and what happens? Well, they play good defense, and they run the ball well, and Cooper Rush is completing passes outside the hashes to CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper, and the Cowboys win. Because we don't know anything. Or the Saints against the Bucks earlier that day. Famous Winston goes down with a knee injury and it's tied at sevens in the second quarter. And I'm racking my brain going, who is their backup quarterback? I know Taysom Hill's injured. Who's their third stringer? And Trevor Simeon comes in for his first snap since 2017. Former Northwestern doofus, former Denver Broncos doofus. And I'm going, there's no possible way this is going to end well. And what happens? What happens against the defending Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Bucs, and the winningest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, on the other side? What happens? Trevor Simeon and the Saints win because we don't know anything. I can go down that entire list. I could continue going and and say my own opinion going into each and every single one of those. I know exactly what it was. I thought Minnesota would roll. I thought Alabama would roll. I thought Spencer Adler was good. I thought the Bengals would roll. I thought the Vikings would win. I thought the Bucks would roll. Imagine pulling everybody who follows this sport, not just me, before any of these outcomes occurred. And say, what do you think is going to happen? I feel very confident in saying, we pretty much have near 100% spreads across the board of just, well, yeah. I mean, the Jets and Mike White are not going to beat Joe Burr on the Bengals. The Bowling Green Falcons are not going to beat Minnesota in Minnesota as 31-point underdogs. And yet, all of this stuff occurs. All of it happens. Things that actually happened. Well, so you take what happened before, what everybody thinks, and you line it up against the results. And you go, hmm, this is interesting. As just a, a reminder, not that we need it, but just another casual reminder of how much of a difference there can be between what we think before an event occurs and then the actual results that come out of that event. There's many times a vast difference in life. There's many times a vast difference within the world of sports. That is the main reason why I am so passionate about this particular matter when it comes to college football and the playoff and the way that it never truly honors things that have occurred. Very passionate about things that have already been settled on the field. Oregon and Ohio State, you played, you lost, Ohio State. And if you two are deciding between the final spot and you have the same record, there just doesn't seem like there should ever be a debate in my mind. It doesn't matter if it's an upset. It doesn't matter if it seems fluky. These things literally happened. That's what I wish the playoff committee would always abide by. And it is what they very rarely do unless it fits into what they want to happen. And if that's not the basis for your judgment, then what is the point of playing?